powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I love coaching this football team. I love coaching those players in there. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's football at four. Football at four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Jeff Mosher joins us uh, to really break down what's going on. Don't forget the Inside the Birds podcast drops Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 a.m. The latest version is out. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Football at 4 is also brought to you by Dr. Lyle M. Back. For everything from skin care to cosmetic surgery, go to ilovelyleback.com or call 856-MAKEOVER for Dr. Lyle M. Back, proud sponsor of Football at 4. Mike and Broads. Watch the show live on Facebook.com, 973-ESPN. And, of course, there's a ton going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. So let's get into it, Moach. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful, fellas. How are you guys doing today? It's been a wild day. It's been a wild week. And, uh, obviously, the Eagles, uh, they're not – you know, Doug, uh, Jeffrey Lurie said Monday that they were going to take their time and do all this. How long after they parted ways – with Doug Peterson, were you hearing that they were making a call to Lincoln Riley? Um, probably within uh, two to three hours, they had made made contact with Lincoln Riley. Although, in fairness, I'm I'm going off of when the reports came out that Doug Peterson was fired. I don't know exactly what time of the day that uh, Jeffrey Lurie fired Doug Peterson, but I know that not too uh, far after he, he did place a call to Lincoln Riley. I believe him and Howie Roseman had a conversation. With Lincoln uh, on that at that time, so there is some relationship between Roseman and Riley, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously they spoke to Lincoln prior to the draft. Drafted Jalen Hurts, who played there at Oklahoma for Lincoln. I, I, I'm of the understand. It's my understanding they also talked to Lincoln about Jalen Rager uh, throughout the process too. I, you know, I think Oklahoma plays TCU if I'm not mistaken. Same conference down there, so perhaps getting kind of a, a scouting report. Uh, so yeah, there, there's a uh, a relationship there. You know, there there's a you know they, these people know each other. They're, it's not like uh, you know one phone call or something like that or an introduction. Even they 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 know each other. So, is he a realistic candidate in your mind? I mean, they reach out to him and make a call. Does he seem like he's interested? Is it something that you know they're going to interview him, or it's just hey they they were you know testing the waters there. Yeah, this has been a tough one to nail down, and, and I feel like you see this a lot with college coaches because many of them do make that flirtation with the NFL, simply go back to their college and, and get a raise out of it. So I don't know if that's what's going on with Lincoln at all. I mean, I know he talked uh, with the Cowboys, I think at this time last year, when they were looking for a head coach. And um, people, well, I know some people close to him who said, you know, he does have some interest in coaching in the NFL, and the Eagles' job at one time, in, you know, was intriguing to him. Now, I don't know if it's different now because of Doug Peterson's firing and anything that's been coming out about, you know, Jeffrey Lurie's involvement and Howie Roseman being there. I have no idea. I think what we'll we'll find out pretty soon, though, just how interested the Eagles are. I believe if you go back to last year with the Cowboys, Lincoln publicly said that he was going to stay at Oklahoma. I don't think he's made, and I could be wrong, things change every second. I don't think he's made any public statement um, in the last 24 hours 
either staying or leaving Oklahoma, which is interesting to me. It means to me maybe the door is still open because he has not publicly said anything. So uh, I go back to the last time that Howie and Chip were really kind of keen in, keen in on a college coach with Chip Kelly, and they put a, a full press on Chip Kelly. Um, so we'll see if Jeffrey and Howie maybe make a trip to Norman uh, pretty soon, Oklahoma, to, to try to, you know, regale Lincoln or at least try to have a uh, another conversation with him to see if he's interested. What are your thoughts on the amount of names being discussed? I feel like they're all over the place, from Mayo, a linebacker coach, to Joe Brady, who's young, to Todd Bowles, a veteran. Is this just them trying to hear everybody out, or, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you heard Jeffrey Lurie say that he was in no rush, and um, it is typical of them to cast a fairly wide net. Go back to the last time they were looking for a head coach. I mean, you know, we know Doug wasn't tops on the list. We know that Adam Gaze and Ben Mack, and I'm sorry, not, not but I'm going to uh, go back to even the Chip Kelly flirtation. They talked to a lot of different people there, and even after Chip turned down, they wound up having discussions with, what, Bill O'Brien and Brian Kelly and um, – I think Todd Bowles might have been in the mix at that time. I, I forget. They're, they're known for casting a wide net, which I think is a good thing. I think you obviously want to, A, do some research on some young and upcoming guys and get a feel for them just in case maybe you don't think they're ready now but for down the road. Um, and you want to give yourself as many options as possible. The only thing that I think is the downside to this is you know they're gonna they're gonna the report said they're gonna interview Robert Sala tonight. What if they are blown away by Robert Sala? They're they're not gonna just stop their process, I don't think, and hire the guy right on the spot. So they could risk losing him or someone else to any other team like the Jets or any team that had started this process before them, and then look back on it and say, man, you know, I wish we could have had that guy because we were blown away, but we were going through this. Long list of candidates. I don't know that Jeffrey Lurie thinks that way, though. Um, so let's go through some of the possibilities. Joe Brady's name just came up today. 31, one year as an offensive coordinator, doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts on that are that it's kind of more of a, a, of a, a smart offensive mind slash leader of men type hire, and a lot of it comes from what he did at Louisiana LSU. Uh, the year before. I mean, certainly you look at the Carolina Panthers offense this year and, and it's nothing to write home about. It wasn't great. So it really is less about his resume as a one-year NFL assistant coach and probably more about how he was viewed before he took that Panthers job. Um, and again, like the, the one thing that we can't ever know, right, because we're not there, is how these guys present themselves in the interview chair. I mean, and nobody, remember, nobody really... Nobody else was really keen on Andy Reid that year that the Eagles hired him. So I don't know how he's going to come off in the interview with Jeffrey and, and Howie and if he's going to knock their socks off or not. How realistic is Deuce Staley? What do you think his pros are, and what do you think has stopped him from taking that next step in the past? Well, I think he should be a very realistic and viable candidate because for a number of reasons. One, when you speak to people who have worked with him or underneath him as players, Tremendous leader, tremendous coach, tremendous uh, motivator. All the things that you look for in the head coach, forget the X's and O's, forget that he's not you know, perhaps a play designer. You can get great uh, coordinators for that. But when you look at just the great leaders in the game, Deuce Staley's name comes up time and time again. And so I think that he deserves the opportunity to be heard 
and and probably be uh, a head coach somewhere, if not the Eagles. Now, how realistic is it for the Eagles? You know, they're going to interview him. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that if you just go back to last year alone, when they made co- changes in the coaching staff, it was Press Taylor that was kind of named the top offensive assistant to Doug Peterson as the passing game coordinator, right? That induce is the assistant head coach. That's a great title. Uh, and he did take over for those days where, when Doug had uh, the coronavirus, but press was given more autonomy over the, the offense because he was the play designer. And, you know, I, I have to think that that in some ways reflects some kind of thinking in that organization that they wouldn't want Deuce in a role. Well, if they want an offensive-minded head coach, they probably want that guy to be this brilliant play designer. That's what I think the Eagles think. Uh, I don't know if that thinking has shifted. So I don't, I don't know that he's their first choice. But we also know that Doug Peterson wasn't. So we'll have to see what happens. That's key. Um, Robert Sala is going to come in tonight for an interview, defensive coordinator. Um, you know, I feel like everybody left the Lori press conference and felt that he wanted an offensive guy. But he kind of kept the door open for both. And he kind of indicated... More than anything, he wanted a leader of men. And if that's the case, these defensive guys, Gerard Mayo, whose name came up today, which was kind of surprising, Robert Sala, mm-hmm. they would kind of fit that bill, as would do Staley, correct? Uh, yeah, I would think so. And I, and I do think Jeffrey, he's smart enough to not shortchange himself and only interview offensive candidates, right? I mean, he's smart enough to cast, again, the wide net to want to speak to some of the great defensive minds and probably really get into who they would bring in as offensive coaches and then kind of dive into that. So it's good that he doesn't just restrict himself to offensive coaches, of course. But, you know, if we were to play a game of futures bets, right, and will the next Eagles head coach be offensive or defensive, I'd probably put offensive-minded at the uh, minus 110 and defensive at the plus 230, if, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um that being said, Robert Sala, uh, does he, you know, is he because everyone else is talking to him, or do you feel like he's a guy that uh, they're they're high because you're going to have to move fast on him? That's why it seems to be a little weird here, right? The timing. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do think that you know it's a great, it's good to do the interview. They're doing it. They're they're going to get their research done on like, Robert Sala. Like in other words, Jeff, and, if they like him tonight, they're not going to pull the trigger on him tonight. But if they want him, they might have to. Well, that, that was my point, what I was saying before, is that they're going to do their diligence and not just hire a guy on the spot. And because of that, they may lose a guy. They may get blown away by Robert Sell, but they're probably going to do their diligence on everybody else. And in the process, they may wind up losing someone like that or someone else that really might uh, endear themselves to them. If but he... I do think, if I, let me, let me yeah, just go ahead. on that. I, I, I'm just projecting here and my analysis. I think part of Jeffrey's thinking and, and, and in hitting a home run on Andy Reid and obviously getting somebody in, in um, Doug Peterson who won a Super Bowl, I think Jeffrey's mindset is that it's not just going to be one guy in this process that blows me away. So even if I lose a guy who I, I was blown away by, there's going to be candidates out there who I really, really like as well. And he's going to lean back on the fact that you know, Andy Reid wasn't the first guy on his list, and Doug wasn't the first guy on his list, and, and Chip Kelly was, and that didn't work out very well. So I think if I'm projecting here and just trying to, you know, without knowing exactly what's in Jeffrey's head, I would think that he's of the opinion that there's more than one really good candidate out there. 
By the way, breaking news, uh, the Brooklyn Nets have just acquired James Harden. Wow. So there you go. Wow. wow. I'm What's a li- the compensation? Uh, it just says Brooklyn is acquiring James Harden with a blockbuster deal. Sources tell ESPN. That's from Woj. No players have been announced yet. Wow. How do I get back to Sala from here? I mean, that's a that's a big transition. My gut's all turning. I don't even know how to feel right now, but we'll try and transition. You guys want me to just... You guys want me to see myself out <laughs> No, absolutely not. Let's Most. get Hudrick back yeah, on the yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> Most, hypothetically speaking, let's say Salah is here, right? Do you think maybe bringing in Mike LaFleur, the passing game coordinator in San Francisco, and going with an offense that's more creative and maybe more the style Lori wanted to go would be intriguing? Certainly. I, I, I absolutely believe Jeffrey is looking. You heard him say it at the press conference, and he said it many times in the last few years. In order to win a Super Bowl, he feels you have to have an elite offense. So if he is going to hire a defensive-minded head coach, then that defensive-minded head coach probably has to blow Jeffrey away on the type of assistant he wants to bring in. Now, the 49ers have two – they have with, they were the Eagles before the Eagles, right? They had a run game coordinator and a pass game coordinator. One of those guys is Mike LaFleur. The other guy is uh, Mike McDaniel, I believe, if I got that correctly. So – um, both of them are pretty highly regarded. And I would think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would think that, you know, Rob would want to bring one of those guys with him, or he's got maybe different connections around the league that he might want to bring with him. But I would just think that Robert being under that Shanahan tree there would uh, really want to kind of continue, you know, to, to bring what Kyle Shanahan has brought to the San Francisco offense. How much of this plays a role? Maybe I'm overthinking, but if you get a defensive coach as the head coach, the offensive coordinator might get picked from another team down the road pretty quickly compared to if that offensive guy is your head coach. Um, wait, wait, repeat that for me again? Like, if you have a defensive coach as your head coach, right, like, people will pluck uh-huh. your offensive coordinator away rather quickly compared to if you find your offensive guy as your head coach. Of course, he's going to stay there in Philly as long as everything succeeds. Uh, that, that yeah, I would say that that's possible. I mean, you got to think of it from this way. I mean, this is short-term thinking and all, but whatever offensive coordinator or offensive head coach, if it is, comes into the Eagles situation, uh, it's it's going to be pretty difficult. We talked about this in the podcast today. Like, even if it's Mike Kafka, you got like an uncertain quarterback situation. You got a really bad cap situation for one year. Uh, I know you'll, you'll get some offensive linemen coming back, but. Um, making this offense kind of a top-five offense overnight ain't going to be easy. So I'm not sure if anybody's going to be plucked uh, in year one unless they really, you know, hit, hit everything on all cylinders this offense. By the way, you want the compensation for the Harden deal? That would be nice. All right. James Harden, it's a three-way deal with Cleveland. Karis LeVert, Dante Exum, some guy named Karukis. Four first-round picks, including the Cavs 2022 that came from the Bucks, and four Nets pick swaps go to the Rockets. Jarrett Allen, Turian Prince, they go to the Cavs. Hmm. Interesting. And you didn't want to give up Tyrese Maxey, and you're stuck with a ball in your hand. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I'm sure you, you guys go. will debate that for for, uh, for quite a while. So does that mean like the next seven NBA drafts are basically owned by the Thunder, the Rockets, yeah. and who's the other team that has like a million first round picks? It was a, I forget who it was. There's another team that had a bunch of them too. Well, the the Cavs just uh, loaded up there. So 
All right, football yeah, at four, Jeff Mosher, t- too much uh, stuff to get into here, so let's continue the conversation because I want to get your take on Biennemi and Kafka because obviously they're in the playoffs still, and the anticipation is they're going to be in the playoffs for a couple of more weeks. So how does that add or make it more difficult to make this decision? Well, it might help the Eagles in that, you know, not, not nobody else is talking to either, either of those guys right now either. So that when they're, when they're finally ready to do uh, more interviews, you know, the Eagles can kind of be among the group. I know uh, on our podcast, Adam Kaplan reported that the Eagles would put a slip in. I don't know if they've done it yet, but they will, they, they're going to plan to put a slip in to interview Mike Kafka. So that'll be interesting. I don't know about Eric Bieniemy. Has anybody reported Eagles interest in, in Bieniemy? Nope. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll just say this, and um, there's only, you know, the Eagles' job is one of 32, so I'll never say that, you know, so-and-so is not going to accept it. But, you know, people in Kansas City kind of are, are fully aware of what it's like here in uh, Philadelphia because of the obvious connections with Andy and Doug Peterson. So I think that there will be some people in their ears about, uh, be, you know, beware of what you're getting into uh, if you get a chance to interview now, does that scare them off enough to say, well, I'm not taking that job? I don't know. But if any organization is going to know what it's like to be an Eagles head coach, it's going to be people from Kansas City. And, of course, Mike Kafka was here as a backup quarterback, so he knows a lot of people who were, uh, were up top. Mm-hmm. Um, why Todd Bowles? Why is he getting interviewed? You know, Todd, man, Todd is uh, is not a guy that wins the press conference. And, you know, for anybody who's listening who's a Jets fan, they, they probably are, are wondering the same thing you're asking. But when you talk to people around the league, uh, guys who played for him, guys who coach with him, they, they think he's not only really smart, a uh, great leader, but he's different inside that locker room than he is in front of the microphone. And he is a motivator that he can get in to his players. And by the way, you know, he loves to blitz. This guy is, like, usually top five every year that he's been a defensive coordinator in blitz uh, percentage. So he's like the anti-Jim Schwartz. He's going to run a 3-4, and he's going to come at their quarterback. So if he were to be the head coach here and have some nice success in his personnel, he'd be, I think he'd be an instant favorite among the fans, even if he isn't the most uh, gregarious in front of the microphone. Uh, he's a Jersey guy, you know, Elizabeth, New Jersey. He's got a little edge to him. Uh, I see him. He can get into his players when they're not uh, doing it right. Um, I, you know, he's been here before, twice, I believe. Uh, so he he kind of knows this organization well, and he knows what it's about. Uh, he knows what it's like to coach in blue collar cities. Having been the head coach of the Jets too, and um, just again, he's got a lot of those qualifications that you look for as far as being a good strategist, as far as his side of the ball with his defense, and a good leader uh, of men. How intriguing is the Bills offensive coordinator, Brian Dable? He had success with Josh Allen, which stands out to people who's trying to make that tie to uh, fixing Carson Wentz. I mean, you know, if you're just going off the result alone from the last two years, you'd have to consider him to be a pretty, one of those, uh, you know, pat rising candidates. I mean, his his agent is Bob Lamont, who uh, also represents Doug Peterson and Andy Reid and a million other guys in that tree, so... It's very likely that Brian Dable will get a lot of interviews and get a job somewhere. And, and I think you have to give him credit. Uh, you know, you watch the Bills' offense, and I know Josh Allen deserves a lot of credit too, but, you know, how many times are they just picking apart the opposing defense over the last year or two, and especially this year? I mean, they've been very, very good, whether running the ball, running with the quarterback, passing the ball. 
they clicked on all cylinders. So I think you got to give Dable uh, a real. I mean, I don't know any. I don't know anything about him as a leader, as a personality, anything of that nature. And that's obviously a big part of it. But just from his results as, a, as an offensive coordinator, seems like he deserves a pretty good chance to be heard. Okay. Uh, another guy that they're going to interview is Arthur Smith. And uh, I don't know that too many people in the listening audience have any clue who he is. He's the Tennessee offensive coordinator. Um, I don't know that I have a lot of interest there. I mean, you got a workhorse back in Henry. There are a lot of play action down there. Um, I don't know. Do you like Art Smith? Does he make a lot of sense for you? See, now I thought you would like him, Mike. But even though he's, he's run first so far with Derrick Henry, I, I know how big of a you know a Tannehill fan you've become over the last two years, and, and I think you have to credit Arthur Smith for being able to do what what Adam Gaze and the, some guys before him could not do, and that's make Ryan Tannehill into a playoff caliber quarterback who who can win some games for you. He's not just second fiddle all the time to the running game. Sometimes you have to throw it, air it out, and, and they've scored a lot of points this year. I also, I, I don't think you hold it against somebody um, that they do the most with the personnel that they have, right? I, meaning, yes, they are run first with Derrick Henry, but you, you also have to recognize that Tennessee is not necessarily a top-five quarterback, and Derrick Henry is an absolute beast of a running back. So I don't fault him for relying on the run, nor do I think he can't be a good passing game coordinator or a head coach uh, or provide over a good offense because he, he's running the ball right now with the personnel that he has. So, uh, I mean, look at Kevin Stefanski. He was a run game guy in Minnesota, went to Cleveland, continued a run game guy, and look what the Cleveland Browns have done. And I, I have a feeling that offense will evolve as they get more time with Baker. So uh, I don't know much about Arthur Smith's personality either. I know his dad is Fred Smith. He's like the CEO of FedEx and I think a minority owner of uh, of Washington, right? And I think there's that controversy going on between him and, and Dan Snyder. But um, I, I just – I wouldn't – I think he's an impressive enough guy that you should interview and at least try to find out his thoughts on the passing game and, and just, you know, just get into an overall philosophy. There are some reports about Luke Fickle. What are your thoughts on his name? That's kind of a, a, a wild one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know he was, uh, you know, head coach for one year right at Ohio State when I think when Jim Russell stepped down. He's known as being a very good defensive mind. Uh, where is he? Cincinnati now? Yes. Right? And they had a great year. I mean, look, I, I like the fact that you look at guys in college and and try to get into their mindset and their philosophy. You know, I think that might be a difficult kind of jump for him to become an NFL coach all of a sudden because you know it, it's just difficult in general to go from from college to the NFL. There's not a ton of guys recently that have had a ton of success. But you don't want to shortchange yourself, so you might as well take a guy who has built a program there at Cincinnati uh, and talk to him because we know that Jeffrey and Howie have a fondness for people who are considered program builders. All right, Jeff Mosher, the Inside the Birds podcast. They break this down a lot more. Uh, He and Adam Kaplan, so check that out. Uh, wherever you get listed to your podcast, they drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6 a.m. And, of course, football at 4 with the guys right here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Tacheco's in tomorrow. Kaplan's in on Friday. If something happens with the Eagles, football at 4 will have it. And Jeff Mosher, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, Jeff, take care, pal. All right, go back to your Harden talk, fellas. <laughs> we got new news on James yes, Harden. By do. the way, football at 4 
is being brought to you by Dr. Lyle M. Back for everything from skin care to cosmetic surgery. Go to ilovelyleback.com, 856-MAKEOVER. Well, it's not exactly on James Harden, but it's all part of the deal. The Rockets are actually expanding the deal. They send Karis LeVert to the Pacers, and the Rockets Rockets just got Victor Oladipo. So it's a four-team trade? Well, I don't know if it was. It probably was a, a trade after the one trade happened. I don't think it was like all one combined trade, if that makes sense. But I guess technically. So Oladipo is going from the Pacers to the, the Rockets. Rockets. So now who do the Rockets end up with without? They don't have Harden anymore. They have Oladipo. And right. Well, the Pacers got Karis LeVert, so that was part of the Brooklyn deal. Like, there's a lot of moving parts right, here. But what did the Rockets land that they gave up Harden to okay, get? Okay, so they ended up Hold getting. On. Let's yeah, yeah, figure resets. it all out. Re- yes, yeah. we got we to gotta reset. Hit the refresh button. Definitely. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. So, moral of this story, James Harden will not be a sixer. Correct. Ben Simmons will be a sixer. I tweeted this out. It's almost like ago. I took your lunch. You're like, wait, what? Bro, I, I tweeted this out. The awkward feeling of disappointment in my stomach right now tells me I wanted this Simmons for James Harden deal more than I thought I did. Yo. Yeah. yeah I'm a little disappointed, I think. Yeah, I am. I, are you being You're joking. Are you joking? No, you're I smiling actually kind of was like, you know what? I'm fired up to see some, you know, this. Uh, look, Ben what? Simmons is what he is. I'm not a hater. I still feel like. I'm disappointed. I still think he can continue to grow. He's still a very young guy. Three years down the road, he might be a tremendously uh, more gifted offensive player. It's not happening right now, and I feel like Joel Embiid is that good. i said it for years. Joel Embiid can be the best player on the team that wins the championship, and I think he's ready, but he needs help. Ben Simmons, I don't think, is ready to help him. That's the problem. All right, back with more Sports Bash. We'll get that trade. Plus Durso, Flyers tonight, 5.30. Right here on 97.3 ESPN, your home for the Flyers. G-Sean, J-Will, and Zubin. Hey, Doug Peterson, who won a... South Jersey's Flyer Station. At 432, Mike and Broads, don't forget Durso. Gonna talk a little Flyers. 5 o'clock, Flyers puck drop, 530. Actually, I've been told officially the puck drop 532 tonight. Oh, yeah, you got the text? I did. Flyers told me 532, baby. You, you excited? Yeah, I mean, sure. Oh, come scene. on. What do you mean, sure? I mean, you get me all excited. You build me up just for that type of reaction. Did you watch the Flyers pump-up video out on their Twitter? No. Twitter's been filled with other stuff today. Well, it happened earlier this morning before all the big news happened. But whatever. I digress. I'll be texting Durso tonight. So give me this trade. Let's figure this out. Oh, yeah. Was I supposed to do that? We got this trade. It's a lot of first pick swaps and things of that nature. So... Oh, man. Karis LeVert. Don- I like Karis LeVert. Yeah, Dante Exton. The guy that you couldn't mention his name, uh, Kur- Kurix, uh, Ro- Rodion's Kurik. Mm-hmm. 
Four first-round picks, including the Cavs 2022 first, which is also a Bucks pick. I guess that came from the Bucks, and it's now the Cavs. And four Nets pick swaps to the Rockets. Jarrett Allen so the Rockets, and Prince to the Cavs. The Rockets ended up with what? Four Nets pick swaps. That's it. They got no players? I mean, they got Oladipo, but that's almost in a separate deal. Yeah, it kind of seems that way from Woj's tweet. Unless I'm reading this wrong, but I think that's the way it went down. Because Allen and Prince went to the Cavs. So it's it's just picks, it seems. Unless I'm missing a piece here. Which is kind of crazy, right? Like, all that James Harden and all you got back was a bunch of pick swaps? Well, they right. They got Victor Oladipo, but that was because they... Well, they ended up getting Karis LeVert, so no, because they traded Karis LeVert to the Pacers. The the wording of, because it's so much, it's like they can't even properly tell the story in the tweets. They can't break it down because there's so much. Do you have it in front of you? Karis LeVert, Dante Exum, Rodonius Karokis. I don't know who that guy is. I mean, I've heard of him, but I... I okay, those are the ones that went to the Rockets. Four first-round picks... And four Nets pick swaps go to the Rockets. Okay. Then Karis LeVert, which was part of that trade, went to the Pacers for Oladipo. So they end up with Oladipo, Exum, Karokis, <laughs> four first-round picks, and four Nets pick swaps. Okay, that's it. that is what it is. Yeah, that's it. So how do you feel about that? Was Is Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey a more intriguing package? Um, well, you're getting better players. I think Ben Simmons and Maxi is better than Oladipo and Lavert. I would agree with that. But I like Lavert a lot. The, I mean, the Rockets are essentially Oladipo and Lavert replacing Harden. I mean, they're a, a I don't know, are they a seven seed. What does this look for the Nets? Their viewpoint on this. How does this impact the Nets? Because Kyrie Irving throws this all for a loop. What is going on with this guy? Apparently, he's not happy with the coaching hire in Steve Nash. Apparently, him and Kevin Durant are very distant. He's doing whatever he wants to right now. So, do you just assume if you're the Nets, this is a KD and a James Harden thing, and you don't even worry about Kyrie? He's out of sight, out of mind. Is that how you approach this? It's a two-man show, and KD and uh, James Harden? Well, if Kyrie, you know, um, flakes out on you, now you have... You have Harden and Durant, like you're okay. Yeah, I think that's better than Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Uh, as a duo. Yes. Yes. As a duo. How would they even fit with all three of them out that's there? That's another thing. How are they all going to get shot? I mean, James Harden takes 35 shots a game. Durant, I mean, how does this all work? Yeah, that's a that's a weird trio. Because there's a lot of these trios that have been built over the years. And, you know, they have one stretch four and one this guy and one that guy. And, the, you know, I know Kevin Durant can play those positions, but it's a different vibe. He's a ball-dominant guy compared to, like, a standard stretch four. It's it's crazy to think about this ball movement and how it's, how it's going to operate. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how they're all going to be happy with the shot selections that they're going to get and the, shot, the amount of shots they're going to get. It just sounds like too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, it's like when you're playing NBA 2K, you put fantasy draft mode on you just get all the guys you know what i mean like it doesn't even seem like a realistic real i'll NBA tell you what movie. i like jared allen especially like when the sixers when they play the sixers he he's a pain in the ass definitely you like um, the hairdo yeah he's old school yeah i like that um i like lavert you don't have to deal with him anymore as the sixers have problems with him all the time so i don't know look obviously they're going for it you need stars you need the stars to get along it's akin to, this is essentially Oklahoma City 10 years ago. 
Durant, Harden, and they had Westbrook instead of Westbrook. You have Kyrie. Yeah, but the Kyrie story. Kyrie's just, better than Westbrook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just adds but, this crazy dynamic to this all because what is going on? Yeah, what is the news on Kyrie now? He's pissed about what? So apparently he's pissed with how the coaching hire went down. He wa- he did not really want Steve Nash, and then now he's very distant with Kevin Durant. Those are the reports. So him and Durant don't get along? They're just distant, whatever that means. Did That's he not know this when distant. they tried to get him? Like, I don't know. So this started apparently last week. Apparently Kyrie claimed that he was distraught over what happened in Washington last week. Then, since then, he has not communicated much at all with Durant, the GM, Steve Nash, head coach, or anybody. Then this week, there was talk that he was concerned about COVID protocols. Then he was seen without a mask at a family birthday party. Then, on the day he was supposed to show up at practice and get COVID tested and didn't get tested, he was seen on a Zoom call for an attorney general candidate that he was helping support. Then last night, the NBA launched their investigation in the Kyrie potentially violating COVID protocols. Then today, the news came out that apparently Kyrie was unhappy with not being consulted enough in the head coaching search. And the news has come out today that apparently nobody has still heard from Kyrie in the middle of all this in the Nets organization. Here you go. How about this? It's an interesting timeline. What if? Yeah, it is. Thanks to Malika Andrews, Bill. Yeah, of course. She does a great job. Are the Brooklyn Nets ready to make that move for Kyrie? Like, I don't know what the contract says, but is this move pretty much making a statement to Kyrie like, you're out of here next? Well, I think I'll ask you guys flip side. Wouldn't you take James Harden over Kyrie Irving at this point? Oh, absolutely. But my question is... Sadly, he's more reliable. Yeah. He shows up. But uh, (laughs) was their their idea when making this trade, I want all three, or we're getting rid of Kyrie Irving and we're going to rock and roll with these two? Like, was all three ever in mind, or was their mindset of, this guy's a nutcase, I don't even want to deal with him, I'm sending him out of here. Does he have a no-trade clause? Like, I, I don't know the details fully on well, next the level. K- K- Kyrie was, stuff. Was the original idea they wanted all three to play together, but did the Nets feel like they had to get James Harden because they didn't want to lose the, their grip on the Eastern Conference because they had no idea if Kyrie was ever going to play? So what, they looked at this as maybe a possibility to a keep... now or never. R- yeah, to keep it somewhat engaged, because if it kept going They've down this road... They've been losing a lot of games. They were just going to fall apart. They won last night. They did. KD with a nice one. KD was incredible last yeah. night. I bet before the season start, futures, KD to win the MVP. This hurts that. Yes, it does, because he's going to get... But, look, as much as people say that James Harden is this ball-dominant guy, which he is, he, he gets a lot of assists, you know? I mean, he really does find his teammates a lot. Somebody so. actually texted that in earlier when we were talking about um, the whole Simmons stuff. Is that basically, you know, you forget that Harden is also like top three in the league in assists. He's also in the tops in the league in assist to turnover ratio, something that Ben Simmons is not good at. How do you guys view this weight change thing? Because some pictures, I'm like, damn, those. Are super, those are superimposed pictures. Uh, some of them are, and then some of them, they're like, there's videos of the him one with him with the, with the baby blue rockets on last yeah, night. Yeah, that one was last night, I believe. Yeah, yeah that one was going a, around. That's not a real picture. No, I know. Guys obviously intensify the look on Twitter. Photoshop, they do that to have fun. But, you know, there's, it's just funny. Like what His mentality heading into this season was obviously a lot different than in years. Be there. Yeah, I know, but you don't think that that impacted But he went out his, there and played. 
and showed up at the very least. Listen, when he was out of shape, he still scored 40 points I know, that one night versus like, the Blazers. He's definitely out of shape. It's not like he's fully I don't, I don't 100% think, in shape. I I don't I personally don't think his conditioning has impacted his ability to play basketball. I think it's just a symbol of his disinterest of being in Houston. Right, but I'm just saying if you're a team looking at that, how do you view that? Do you not? Do you not care? Is it, are you un are you unwilling to even put that into the equation? I don't know. I mean, it's a hard decision well, to make. If you're the Nets, you're probably looking at it and saying. Well, I have one guy who's here who actually doesn't want to be here secretly. I have another guy who doesn't want to be in Houston, but he's still sure to play anyway. I'll take the guy who shows up to play. Yeah, wow. The Kyrie thing, though, that's where the asterisk is. Like, what's going on here? You can't really assess the Nets until you figure out yeah. what's going on there. Well, the the whole, like, they still have a lot of questions, I think, before um, you start to kind of say they're ready because you don't know what's going on with Kyrie. Um, you, they... Look, the, the the thing that happens when these type of moves are made is a lot of times the depth of your team gets questioned a lot. So what's left behind those three? Right. Karis LeVert. Yeah, Joe Harris. Karis LeVert was the guy. Joe Harris is going to get a lot of open looks. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, yeah, look, Karis LeVert was the guy who was like, okay, you can totally work with that. There was Spencer Dinwiddie, of course, before the injury happened. So you're like, wow, that would be lethal. But you're right. Now you're starting to throw some of these pieces away. And that depth, what was so beautiful about that team is is no longer the case. But yeah, Joe Harris is going to have a nice headband on with Flo rocking over it and well, knocking down shots. Here's the like if okay, like somebody just texts it in like sorry broads, you're stuck with Simmons, nets are loaded. Here's the silver lining. Like there's a part of me that wanted to pass on Harden cuz I'm really intrigued by Beal. But here's the problem. Did this trade if you're the Wizards, did you say, "Wow, look what I look what I could get for Beal?" And if that's the case, do the Sixers have the ammunition to get Beal if the ceiling to do it is what just happened? Yes, I do. I do think they, they have enough. I'm, I mean, let's be realistic. As good as Beal is, you would think Harden would take more to get than Bradley Beal. Maybe not by a lot, but if you're putting a package together, Harden, you ask for more than you uh, would Bradley Beal. Put it Beal. this way. I think the Rockets are smarter than the Wizards. That is also true. I mean, I think they're just a better run organization than the Wizards are. I was going to ask you guys, do you also feel like if you're the Wizards, are you in a position where you maybe you saw the Harden deal that maybe pressures you to make a deal as well because you're saying, wow, if teams are out there making deals, we don't want to miss the boat. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. But every time we talk about hypotheticals and trades, we like to look at the other side, right? Like the fans would just make, oh, do this. It's like, well, there's two sides to both parties. If we had Bradley Beal and we wanted to trade him, isn't Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey absolutely a reasonable starting point to have this discussion? Like, you talk about the ceiling. I think that's absolutely in range for this. I don't think it's out of touch whatsoever. Well, right. but And I guess the next question is, we're only eight games into a 72-game jaunt here. But, all right, first move has been made. Who follows? Like, who do, do the Bucks say, huh? Because the Bucks made a lot of moves in the offseason, and I don't know that they feel like they're good enough still. And you got to try to keep, well, I guess, Giannis, you don't have to try to well, keep happy Well, that Bogdanovich trade ended up backfiring on them, which makes them probably think lesser of themselves than they did before that whole restricted free agency trade thing went down. So who in the East says, all right, now it's our turn. They've made their move. 
Because everybody, you figure in the East, right, it's so early in the season to kind of go over the standings and be like, you know, well, but if you're Boston, do you feel like, okay, well, the Nets just got did that. I got to do something. If you're Milwaukee, okay, the Nets did that. I got to do something. If you're Philadelphia, same question. I mean, so if you're Miami, you went to the finals last year. Do you have to now say, we can't go with the same roster. We got to do something. So I think those Boston, Milwaukee, Miami, Philadelphia, they're probably the group of teams that are all eh, all wondering, eh, what's our move now? That's what's going to make this really intriguing. By the way, Toronto's 2-8. and eight. I thought Nick Nurse was the best coach in the league. <laughs> I was just going to say, though, um, but Harden's a huge piece. So after Beal, is there anybody else out there who's a tradable player that's being talked about? I I can't think of one right now that's that caliber. No, and and to just kind of counter it's so the point, early, yeah, it is, and to counter a little bit of the point that you said about will Washington look to move him quickly, knowing a lot of guys are you know willing at this moment. You could also play the other side because it is one of those big names you just mentioned. There's not many out there holding on to him. Will that attract more? Will that package become heavier because they're going to wait? By the way, we got Flyers hockey at five thirty. We got Durso at five. But I got a hockey story for you when we come back. Wow, I'm excited to hear that. Here we go. I'm a little stunned. I'm also stunned by this DraftKings offer. DraftKings is giving all new players the chance to bet on any of this weekend's professional football games at 100 to 1 odds. That's right. All you have to do is bet $1 on any football game this weekend. And if your team wins, you cash $100. Let's not forget about the daily odds boost for the 2021 basketball season. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Mike Gill Show on Twitter, at Broads81. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, you can listen to Flyers Hockey right on your phone. Download the free mobile app and listen to the Flyers wherever you go. It's Flyers Penn tonight. We got a preview coming up in 13 minutes. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Curated by Cole's latest collection is now available in select stores and at Kohl's.com. For a limited time shop, unexpected new favorites, like reusable drinkware from Corksicle. To the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 4.51, Durso at 9, Flyers at 5.30. I'm Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. So I told you I had a hockey story. You guys were just talking about it. Josh went to a fantasy hockey league last night with Durso. Yeah. yeah. I am out on that. You're out on fantasy hockey. Why? Why? I mean, I guess you didn't even know who Dreisaitl was when we were talking about the heart race this year. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. <laughs> I have Zippo interest in that. You know what's funny? I'm not a big fantasy hockey guy. What is it, how does it even work? Well, you pick your forwards, your defensemen, your goalie. You get points for a goal? Yeah. How right. much? Is it like a touchdown to oh, get six? I'll be honest with you. I don't know the scoring system. It, I mean, it depends on who does it and how they do it. But some guys like value plus minus, I think. Some guys value It's like a, roto, like a rotisserie type? 
I'm sure. So, did you even get asked? Because I think I have a bone to pick with Durso. No, I was not asked. I was not asked. I was actually informed about it because Josh, he, you know what? This is crazy. He texted me the other day, Durso did, and said, My dad and I started this fantasy league. I'm stoked. Never mentioned an invite. Couple days later, now I find out that Josh is in on the same league. Wow. I, he's on in, what, seven minutes? Yeah, I didn't get an ask. Yeah, we got some bones to pick with this guy. I mean, because if I was asked, I'm not the guy that's going to let anybody down. I agree with that. I'm not, that gonna, I'm not the Pete Thompson. I'm not letting you down. If you ask me to be a part of your fantasy league, I will make sure I fill the slot because I'm just not letting you down. Like, I asked I let you to you, be I, basketball. I, I, yeah, you, no, you let me down. No, no, no. I did basketball. I'm in the basketball league. I let you down with the playoff football, football one. That one, I was just thinking that. You read my mind. But go ahead, Josh. Try and defend this one, please. So, here's the deal. Durso didn't invite me to his league either. You invited yourself. No. No. I didn't know he was in a league until after I talked to him. I was talking about something completely else. And I said, by the way, I said, I'm thinking about doing fantasy hockey. I said, what do you think? And he goes, Dude, you should absolutely do it. He gave me this whole long thing and talked me into it last yesterday. So I jumped in a league last night, you know, one of those, you know, public leagues, right? Where, oh, you know, wow, so you were you went to the I don't know anyone, let's just hop into some fantasy hockey. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez, that's out there. It's <laughs> out there. Wait a second. You're doing like uh, random league. Yeah, but like the the people who do mock drafts for football, I'm like, what are you doing a mock draft for? Well, I want to those people aren't in our league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with the you. The mock draft for hockey, though? So, no, no. I'm in a legitimate league. There's yeah, no but were you, were you mocking to get ready for it? No, no. Okay, so there was no preparation. No, I literally looked down. I was like, oh, bleep. I got to join this draft room. Okay. At <laughs> 10 o'clock last night while I'm at the gym. <laughs> wow. So he's do he's drafting while, like, on the treadmill. Oh, I do that all the time. Whoa. All the time. Wow. All I, the time. I do fantasy leagues drafts all the time while I'm at the gym. So he does do, like, are these mocks real leagues? They're the league where you don't know anyone. You just join a random So league. did you look at his roster? I did. How is it? It's good. It's it's good. I mean, I don't know what everyone else's looks like, though. It's hard to really judge, but it looks fine. Who's his goalie? Is Vasilevsky. Goalie? So, like, in a hockey fantasy draft, is the goalie, like, the quarterback where you don't draft him right away? Right. Like, that's, who's the I most important player on a hockey fantasy team. Good thing we have Durso on, but another thing that stood out to me, Josh said I was texting Durso for something else. I text Durso just for hockey knowledge 24-7. I don't know what I would, I don't know. I just, I feel like Durso's just hockey knowledge. I don't even think I have Durso's phone number. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Alright. Sports Bash coming up. Kevin Durso will join us. We'll get his take on this flyer season. They play the Penguins tonight. Right here on 97.3 ESPN. Download the free mobile app and listen to the game on your phone because many of you will not be home yet. It's a 5.30 puck drop. You'll hear it here. South Jersey's radio home for Philadelphia Flyers hockey is 97.3 ESPN. Listen as Tim Saunders and Steve Coates call all the action right here on 97.3 ESPN. It's Flyers hockey tonight. The Flyers open the 2021 season hosting the Pittsburgh Penguins. Coverage begins at 5.30. Listen. ESPN. 
This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after five, it's the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, talk about Flyers. They're coming up at the bottom of the hour. You can listen to the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers and Penguins starting off. The 2021 season, and our Kevin Durso is live inside the Wells Fargo Center with a report, a preview of the season and tonight's game, as he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Kevin Durso, welcome back for another season, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. It's just great to be back in this building and starting another season. It's just incredible that we're here to start a new season with everything going on in the world. Hockey's back, and it's a thrill. What is it like in the building? I, I understand that uh, you guys are you're watching this game from a little different vantage point. Yeah, the seating's in the lower level, so I'm going to have to keep my head up a little bit just in case any pucks come over the glass. But it's it's definitely going to be a unique perspective. I'm kind of used to the bird's eye view from upstairs, and instead we're going to be getting kind of a, an angle that we're right on top of the action, so to speak. So it's going to be really interesting to watch and see these players up much closer than I normally do. All right, a uh, couple things. Uh, let's look at some of the storylines entering this season. Get ready to play Pittsburgh tonight. Uh, let's start with the former number two overall pick, uh, Nolan Patrick. His status and what you uh, what the Flyers are anticipating from him. Well, the good news for him is he's on the ice right now, taking warmups. So he's in. He's getting back on the ice finally after a long time off, nearly two years since playing a game. And it's good to have him back in the lineup because he can provide even more depth to this forward group. And he can be a guy who can be productive. We've seen it before from him. He has these moments where he just gets on a roll and really starts to produce. And if he can really start to do that this season and be another player that he becomes kind of an internal addition for this team. He, you know, the Flyers didn't do a whole lot in the offseason to add players to the lineup. So this could be their way of adding to the lineup by getting a guy like that back who they know can produce. And if he gets a, good, a few good opportunities, especially playing maybe lower in the lineup, he'll, he'll be on the third line tonight with James Interimsike and Jake Voracek, and that could open up some opportunities for him. Another guy they added internally, well, because they lost him a little bit in the middle of the season due to cancer, but Oscar Lindblom, what can you expect out of him? Well, I, I don't want to say you can expect exactly what you got a year ago because he is – fresh back into the lineup after basically a year off from taking cancer treatments and all of that type of stuff. But he's back on the top line with Sean Couturier and Travis Konechny. So that tells you something about what he's done in training camp and how they feel about his potential and that he can bounce right back to being the player he was before the diagnosis. So it's another guy that it's just great to see him back on the ice. It's been a long time. You know, those two games in the playoffs were spectacular. But realistically now, he's back on home ice where he belongs, and it's great to see him. Uh, and where's he paired up with? He's with Couturier and Connecting. All right, uh, so there you go. Um, obviously, um, the top line, which has been such a big part of this team for years, Claude Giroux, um, you look at Jake Voracek, any changes to the top you know, line, the top line pairing? They had just one week to get ready for this, so are we going to see a different top line pairing than we saw last year? Yeah, you definitely are, because at this point, Sean Couturier is the forward that you really need to pay the most attention to at this point. So he's the top-line center. Claude Giroux is still on the left wing. 
but he's now on the second line. Jake Voracek's still a right winger. He's on the third line, though, so they've scattered those guys around, and now they've added some of these younger guys who have continued to take steps and make progress. Lindblom's on that top line. Connecting's on that top line. you got Kevin Hayes centering the second line. Joel Farabee takes a big step, and they hope for big things out of him this year. He's on the second line with Giroux and Hayes, and that could open up some possibilities for him, too, because he's got two guys who have been around in the league for a while, and he's entering his second season. Could be a breakout year for him by being on that line. And as I said, having Nolan Patrick centering, James Andrews, like in Voracek, that's just three really solid lines that have a lot of potential to do some damage, and you hope that they can get rolling pretty quickly because the start of the season is so important. The power play was such a huge issue last year. What do you think we should see from the two units? Well, I think you're going to see a little bit of a different look to these units, and I'm not talking personnel as much as I am maybe the setup. I think you're going to see a lot more traffic toward the net. You're going to see a lot of guys crowding the net. You might see two guys positioned at either side of the net. You know, they had Travis Konechny kind of working that area during the scrimmage at times and during the training camp, and that was something that was interesting to see because he's a smaller guy. He's not your prototypical net front guy, but he plays well there because he is a guy who is gritty and he'll get after the rebounds. So that's a good place for him if he can get into position and be set up to maybe put home a rebound. And another guy who I think that is a true newcomer to this team is Eric Gustafson, who is probably going to be on that second power play unit. And he's a guy who brings some offensive potential as a defenseman. So I'd like to see how they utilize him and maybe see how they activate him on that power play. Kevin Durso is at the Wells Fargo Center as the Flyers get ready to take on the Penguins. You can hear it right here on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Uh, defensive pairings. Let's go through that and how it's going to look different this year, obviously, with uh, Niskanen retiring. Yeah, so Ivan Provorov's still the top guy, and that's no surprise. He's as durable as they come. He actually went down for a brief moment in the uh, scrimmage on Sunday, came back and took his next shift like like always. It seems like nothing can disrupt him at all. He's he, he might as well be a robot the way that he's able to function out there. He's paired with Justin Braun for this game tonight, and that'll be an interesting look because you know, Braun probably might be the most natural replacement right now for Niskanen in terms of the right-handed shot, a veteran presence. But we'll just have to see how that evolves. I think the more important thing for the Flyers in the early going would be together, and that's what they've done for this game. At the back end, you'll see Robert Haig and Eric Gustafson, the newcomer to the lineup, and that will be uh, that'll be an interesting combination to see as well because it's the first look for a lot of people at the way Eric Gustafson's going to look in this lineup. And who knows, you know, there's guys waiting in the wings you know, Shane Gossesver missed a couple of days at the end of the training camp there, so we don't really have a full update on what his condition is because they weren't able to fully tell us that during training camp. So hopefully we'll get an update very soon on him. And they got Mark Friedman also, who is a scratch, who is waiting in the wings as well, who can just come in at any time also. So there's going to be some internal competition on, on the blue line for sure. Maybe I'm crazy, but I'm definitely a little concerned with Braun logging in that many minutes. He's older, he's slower, and even that last year at the back end, I thought that you know he was more that fifth, sixth kind of D, so to jump him all the way up to provide that Matt Niskanen role, I don't know, I'm a little concerned. It's a faster game, younger guys, teams can roll four lines, and, and here you are throwing a mid-30-year-old guy who at this point is definitely slow, but you know he makes the simple play, he chips pucks out, so I understand what he does bring to the table. Yeah, and I, I think he protects Provorov to an extent, too. I think that's what they liked about Niskanen, is that Niskanen was so reliable at the back end that it allowed Provorov to play more of a hybrid role. He didn't have to be complete defensive, complete offensive. He could kind of just play a game and, and get a better feel for the game. He could just read the game better and take what was given to him. If he had an opportunity to jump to the play, he could and know that there was still a guy behind him. Or he could just let it, let everything develop in front of him and just 
sit back and make the right defensive play. So I'm, I'm curious to see how if if this lasts, how long it lasts, because there's a lot of room for for um, movement in this lineup. You know, there's you know I wouldn't be shocked if Phil Myers doesn't get a shot there at some point, and probably relatively soon. I think it's just the fact that right now they really like Sanheim and Myers together. So the fact that they don't want to break that pairing up left them with limited options. So I'd be curious to see how that changes down the line. But so far, this is the way it's going to be, and we'll see how quickly they decide to change anything if they do. I mean, I think that as long as they're having success with it, you'll keep seeing them roll it out. But if they start to falter in any way, then things are going to change quickly. Kevin Durso is at the Wells Fargo Center. It uh, sounds dead silent there. That's kind of crazy to think that uh, it's that quiet inside that building, but that's the world we live in now. The world we live in has Claude Giroux. He'll be 33. So it's kind of weird. If you were to ask me how old Claude Giroux is, I said, eh, he's probably 37, you know, but he's still just 33 years old. But um, what kind of Claude Giroux do you anticipate seeing? Are we going to see the same kind of guy um, that's, you know, kind of uh, been this highly productive guy, uh, or do you anticipate him kind of taking a step back this season? You know, it's, it's tough to say. I, I, I really do see a determined Claude Drew. He's got this fire in his eyes right now that says that he's not thrilled with the way that the postseason ended in September. He's not thrilled with the way that things have been going year after year. He wants to make a jump and see this team take that next step. He's the captain of this team for a reason. He's got to be the leader. And step up. And there are times we've seen before when he's the guy who really puts everything together and he's the driver of this. It, it turns the whole thing around and he becomes, he becomes this guy who is a production leader at that point. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he takes this season. You know, he's been in this spot before too. His first season as captain was a shortened season as well. And the Flyers didn't get off to a good start that year and they didn't make the playoffs as a result, even though they started to put together wins in the second half of that season. It's going to have to be a strong start, and it might need somebody like Claude Giroux to step up and be a productive player from the very beginning and, and be a, a leader in the points column as much as he is a leader on the ice in every other sense. So that that's what I'm looking to see from him, and hopefully the production comes to him because that's a guy that the Flyers need to be clicking pretty much every night and doing his part. It doesn't always have to be scoring, but he needs to be doing what he, what he can to get them in the position, position to win games. I was asked this yesterday. I'll throw it at you. I was asked, who do I expect to take the biggest jump from last year to this year? And I said Joel Faraby. What say you? I would say the exact same thing. And it, and my main reason for that is, you know, I don't want to pin too many expectations on somebody like Lindblom or Patrick just because they're both coming back from really long-term reasons for being out of the lineup, right? Lindblom with the cancer diagnosis, he's still been recovering. I'd like to see a few games from him before I determine he's back to his normal self or anything like that. Same with Patrick. We haven't seen him play against opponents in nearly two years so he can look great in practice he can look great in the scrimmage i'm not going to take that into account too much until i see him against the team that's out there trying to disrupt the play as much as possible farabee's the guy to me though who really did take the big steps because he put on 10 pounds of muscle over the summer and he kind of addressed the big area of concern for him which was his size And he instantly from the second that i saw him in the scrimmage on sunday from just watching it he looks bigger, and that's a big thing for him, that he looks bigger. He looks like he can handle some of the the adversity that will come with playing forward and having to go in on the forecheck and dealing with bigger and taller, stronger defenders. He looks ready and capable of doing that, and I have a lot of confidence that he's going to step up and be a productive guy because that's what drew the Flyers to him in the first place when they drafted him was that he's got some scoring potential, and I think now we're really going to see it. 56 games. How do we see them using the goaltenders? 
Well, I, I still think you're going to see a healthy dose of Carter Hart, no question about it, because he gives him the best chance to win every night. That's not a knock on Brian Elliott. That's just how good Carter Hart is. When they do have to turn to Brian Elliott, I think they will have full trust in him to play the way he did last season, the season before that. He's been a reliable backup goaltender for them. I think the key difference now is I think in years past I would have probably told you, you know, it's probably going to be split 50-50 or it's going to be close and they still want to lean on Elliott a little bit because Hart's so young. I think as soon as you saw the way he played in the playoffs, the training wheels are long gone and he's the guy. So he's going to get the bulk of the starts still somehow. You know, I, I don't think he's going to get a, a ton of starts. Like, I wouldn't sit there and say he's going to start 40 out of 56, but I can safely tell you he'll start 30 to 35 of these games out of the 56. And Elliott there is the insurance policy for Hart to get a rest, for the back-to-backs that come up, things like that. Because you're going to need him somehow at, at, at some time when he's when they're really up against it with the schedule. Because there's a lot of times they're going to play four games in six nights, and you're going to need to turn to Brian Elliott at some point just to make sure you're not overworking Hart. I would expect the balance to be stronger in the first half of the season because you just want to save Carter Hart as much as you can and keep his energy level and his motivation as high as possible for down the stretch in March, in through April, and into May and into the playoffs because that's where he's going to really start to see the bulk of the work. How do you view this division? It's an odd year. They had to split everything up. It's absolutely going to be tough. I mean, the worst team is like the Devils, and I think they're going to be more competitive than last year. But you look at the top and the way that the schedule set up with the two-game series kind of vibe, it, it's definitely going to be a battle. Yeah, this is the toughest division in the, in the league, in my opinion. And to have to go out there every night and battle a team, you know, tonight it's Pittsburgh, Friday it's Pittsburgh. Buffalo's going to be on the rise a little bit because they've – Got a lot of young players. They added Taylor Hall. That's going to be a huge addition. The Devils are a growing team. So you got all these moving parts, and, and, and then add in all the other teams, too. You know, the, the New York Rangers, who have had top two picks in the last couple of drafts, and you've got, you know, the Islanders, who made a run in the Stanley Cup, at the Stanley Cup last year, got fell just short in the conference final. You know, all these other teams. Washington's still got a lot of talent. Boston's obviously a threat every year. So, there's never a night off in this division, and that's the tough part, is that you have to be prepared every single night because you know, any team could win this division in a sense that it, it, it's a weird year because it's a weird year and, and because every game holds such magnitude. If the Devils go on a run, you know, they can be a surprise team out of nowhere. I don't think they, they will. I think that the other teams in the division still are more talented and more prepared for this kind of run than they would be. But any team could win on any given night, and that's the way you have to approach every game. So there's no off nights here. Yep, uh, it all starts tonight. Flyers and Penguins, 5.30. They'll play the Penguins again on Friday night. We'll have that game for you on 97.3 ESPN. They have a back-to-back with Buffalo Monday and Tuesday. You're basically going to see these little two-game sets all season long. And going down that road, I mean, do you think that's something that benefits this team? It's going to be interesting to see how the dynamic of this plays out. And I think I think it's beneficial to the team because of the fact that they can – kind of treat each series like a, like a mini playoff series. You're going to play the same team a lot in short order. You know, yeah, that can get the juices flowing really quickly. It feels like a lot of, a lot it feels of, like a lot of splits. That's I guess the, the you know like when you play the same team back to back, it feels like a lot of team, you know, it's hard to beat the same team twice in a row back to back nights. It feels like a playoff series. You win game 1, they take game 2. I feel like you're going to see a lot of splits this year from everybody. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's a perfectly fair assessment because, yeah, there's a lot of teams that are going to make the proper adjustments from one night to the next, and it could it could be in a lot of ways, too. It could be just finding something on film that they see that takes away a tendency that worked in one game that doesn't work for the opposition the next night. 
Or it could be a lineup change. It puts a new guy into the, into the lineup, which brings somebody else into the picture and changes the dynamic that way. So you could see a lot of splits in that sense. And I think the team, I think the team that avoids them the most is obviously going to be the one that really takes off in this division and, and really puts their stamp on being one of the teams, one of the four teams that will make the playoffs. It's just going to be really interesting to watch because of the way that, you know, playoff hockey is great because of the fact that when you go through a series, you watch the bad blood kind of boil as it goes along. So if we see a little bit of that kind of stuff tonight, well, who knows what to expect on Friday when the same two teams are back on the ice. It's going to just continue to boil at that point. So that's that's exciting stuff, and I, I, I certainly love that angle to it. All right, all season long, Kevin Durso, at Kevin underscore Durso. Follow him for all the Flyers. He is at the Wells Fargo Center tonight, so follow him for updates throughout the game and get all of his coverage this season at 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, download the free mobile app. You can listen to Flyers hockey right on your phone. And, of course, Kevin Durso, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Great job, Kevin. Great to have you back on board for another season. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. We got Flyers hockey coming up in about 15 minutes. The puck will drop on this season. All excited, ready to go. I know I am. Look at you with those facial expressions. You you build me up, and then you just shut me down as if you get me all going because you know I'm excited. Well, I can't and then reach you your casually level. just, eh, game I one. can't reach your level of no, excitement. No, my goal being here is to get you to my level, Gersos okay. level, Pete Thompson's level, the Schweimer's level, Josh Hennig's level, which might be the most. By the way, no game night tonight. Flyers hockey's coming up next right here on 97.3 ESPN. Tim Saunders and Steve Coates have the call from the Wells Fargo Center. It's opening night, Flyers-Penguins, and you can listen to it exclusively on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, download the free mobile app and listen to Flyers hockey on your phone. Have a great night. We're back tomorrow.